Hello and welcome to This Board Game Life, episode number 15, Wandering Dragons and Quormageddons. This is the show where we talk about this fantastic board gaming hobby that we all know and love. Here we have the views and outlooks of two gamers, one a seasoned veteran, and the other one more of a fresh face to the hobby. My name is Rob, and with me today on the other end of the Skype line is Jeff. Hey, okay, who's the seasoned veteran here? and who's? The... <laughs> uh, I'm sure everybody can pick that out. Oh, okay. <laughs> so let's get rolling with the show and, uh, and hit up on some of the uh, more newsworthy topics that we've got. I wanted to talk a little bit about a, a new gaming store that's opened up in the area. And I figured before I do that, I would give a little bit of background on just where I'm coming from with my uh, my thoughts on the FLGS, as they're known. The Fligus. Friendly local gaming stores. Or uh... So you've done a fair bit of traveling around lately and going to different game stores. That's right. I would say I used to do more of that, both traveling for work as well as just in there was a period where I was kind of out of the hobby for a little bit. But I've always been intrigued by board games. Right. And I've always kind of held oh, on yeah. to some and and such, even when I'd, you know, usually what it was is I'd kind of lost opponents uh, and lost the ability to to kind of play in any kind of with any kind of regularity. And that that changed a lot when my wife finally entered the hobby around 2008. And at this point. I uh, would certainly hope that I always at least have an opponent in her, if not uh, lots of others. Game potion number nine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then I have my son, too, who's uh, who's now three and a half, and so he's uh, wildly obsessed with games. And so uh, just a lot more gaming options overall. Oh, yeah. Uh, but in any case, so traveling around, went to a lot of different game stores. Of course, I've been to all the different local ones that have that have come and gone throughout the years within driving distance from here as well. And most of them were fairly similar to me in terms of the layout of the store or what they did and didn't have, maybe what the experience was going into the store. Not a whole lot of them stood out. Because yeah, you can literally take most of your gaming stores and almost like put them in a couple different buckets, really. Yeah, and it, like you have the ones that are, you know, they've got the comic book yeah. foundation, right? You've got some that are, are more of the card game store. There's there's a few that are more, you know, it's all paints and, and minis and such. And every now and again you see one that is more board game focused, but rarely all board game focused. And, you know, then I run across the occasional odd one that has something else. And one there that comes to mind is, is one out in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, where they carry airsoft guns. Okay. Uh, so you've got, you know, you've got games everywhere and then there's like this row of guns on the wall, uh, which is kind of, you know, different. Interesting combo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I don't know if that's, does that really carry over as a geek hobby, the like paintball kind of thing? I don't know. Uh, but clearly it was probably a passion of the owner, right? They they're, yeah. were in both things, so they, they stock both in the shop. And I think over time they actually started carrying less of the airsoft and, uh, and more games. So, uh, but in any case, and, and, you know, I just wanted to add that with a lot of the stores, it really depends on the passion of the owner. 
Wouldn't you agree? Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're know. more into this or more into that. It sometimes it will change with sales, stop. though. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're, uh, certainly from a board game perspective, if you're an, the Ameritrasher, then y- you notice a lot more FFG type of titles, and if you're more the Euro or family uh, player, then you know it's it's uh, suddenly there's a lot more copies of Ticket to Ride or whatever. So, right. yeah. Uh, well, in any case, I would say the the first time I actually went to a game store where the experience or or the overall process was different was when I happened to be in Bellevue, Nebraska. What were you doing in Bellevue, Nebraska? (laughs) Good question. I actually was not there for work. I was uh, there to, of all things, adopt our son. You know our son's adopted, right? No. Oh, I didn't know you didn't know that. I thought everyone knew that. That's just to me. There you go. Yes, our son is adopted, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, fourth try. So there we are in in Bellevue, Nebraska. Well, actually, more specifically, we were in Nebraska City, Nebraska. Uh, And, of course, one of the things I I do when I'm waiting around in in hotel rooms with not a lot of other stuff to do is look up the local game stores. And there's a a couple at the time in the the greater area, uh, but there was one that caught my eye that was in Bellevue. And so we drove out there, my wife and I, the one day, and... It was a very interesting store to go into because, you know, as soon as we entered, we were welcomed by a girl that worked there. Okay. So, so we had that sort of friendly greeting. And then at the same time, she, I think, you know, kind of walked away and let us kind of browse through the store and stuff. And, you know, I I'd kind of walked back to the same game a couple of times, which, which was Ivanhoe, a game that I talked about on a previous episode as, as a right. game that I very much like. And it just it was kind of odd to me because it was a game that was on a kind of a watch list for me at the time, and I noticed they just had a lot of copies of it. They had like five copies or something like this, uh, which was kind of weird for a game store to ever stock that many copies of a game. And so she walked back over to us and said, "Oh, you know, are you, are you interested in that game? And you know, I could, I've got a demo copy. I could, I could show you, you know, how to play it and everything." And I was like, "Oh, okay, great." And so they had this little bar height table that was just right there in the area with the board games. They had a separate area in the back where gamers could play games, but there was like this little demo table set up right in the board game area, which I also thought was also neat. And so she grabs the game, you know, lays it down, explains it all very well. We play a game. Of course, we, we liked it a lot, ended up picking up a copy. And what it turned out to be is that they were very much fans of this game, and so much so that they had backed, like on GMT, it's a GMT game, so on their P500 right. list, they had ordered like, you know, I, I believe she said more than a dozen copies or at least a dozen copies, somewhere in that realm. I mean, a significant number um, to just help this game get printed when they um, did that last printing. It's been some time anyway. And so, you know, they've sold through six or eight copies since and they were, you know, they were down to three or four or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, of which we then purchased one. And, and you know, to this day, it's still uh, um, for two players anyway, uh, one of our most favorite uh, quick filler games uh, doesn't doesn't work quite as well for more so but in any case uh, again just kind of looking at the layout of the store I mean they had a lot of variety in things and they had each uh, kind of thing was in its own section which I kind of like where they're not trying to mix it all together the board games kind of had a little wing and and the minis and paints were kind of over in another area and then there was like a role-playing section kind of in the back and then this kind of cordoned off playing area that that was 
you know, had some privacy and there was like a big uh, game shelf of demos and stuff. And that, just the layout of the store and the way that as friendly as she was and the, and the experience of having the table right there and doing the demo. And then I think she, you know, actually recommended a different game than based upon the things we were discussing throughout that demo play, which we actually had to turn down because we had to get going. And I guess I should add, although it didn't really contribute to the positive aspect of the experience, but it turns out she was adopted herself, which was just a nice little point. Uh, oh yeah. Of course, she had asked, you know, you know, where we were from and stuff, what we were doing in town, and are you lost? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she was actually from Turkey or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, she had said something about, you know, moving, moving on. I don't think she was going to stay working at the store, but it's hard to probably um, convey like how different that was of an experience versus like a dozen stores I'd walked into before with the sort of the same exact intent. But we'll say like it, it left a positive enough taste for the friendly local store for me that I actually inspired me to uh, work on a, a game based around that experience. Um, that was back when I was doing more game design stuff. So um, that's like how great of an experience it was for me. So now to contrast that, right? So I haven't really had very many good experiences with game stores since, including local ones, right? It just mostly, you know, been ignored or you feel like you're intruding on on, on the owner playing games with, with his kind of crew. and Yeah, it's like you walk in, you you just like look around, and then you're like, okay, uh, uh, sorry, I meant to go into the cleaners next door. <laughs> I've picked up every game in a game store and not had anyone approach me. You know, yeah. I mean, just crazy, crazy extreme stuff. So I could really go into detail that, that no one needs to hear, but let's just say especially with the discounts, the number of games I buy. I mean, anyone knows, you know, as a, as a reviewer or just as a cult of the new fan or are always curious, right? And maybe that is because I, I, I used to dabble in game design more. And so I'm always kind of curious what, what people have come up with or what they've done bad or, 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 or good. So, you know, being able to buy online at the discounts always been a plus for me. And, and yet, you know, there hasn't really ever been a store that's kind of just had what I needed f- from it. So then I find out of all things, and all the local stores, when I say local, I mean they're in Chicagoland, right? The closest one is still 35 minutes away from me on, on a good day. Is that the one by the office? Yes. Okay. Right, and the one over by you, that, that could take me an hour. I well, it's not even by me. <laughs> yeah, well, relatively it's, speaking, it's, well, it's closer to you than me. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so if it's 30 minutes for you, it's, you know, 50 for me or something like that. And and that's when I realized, okay, so then I found out not one, but two bo- legitimate board game stores have opened in my very town. Jackpot. I know. I, this, is, I, this hasn't happened anywhere else in America that I'm aware of. I mean, certainly in terms of opening in the same month. Maybe there's more than one game store or more than one store that carries games. But in terms of having a pretty good focus on board games, and, <laughs> they're literally within walking distance. That, that's not even an exaggeration. I would feel in every way comfortable walking from one store to the other is how close the two of them are. You know, I can probably comfortably say that if they ever go under, I'm going to strictly blame you for not spending <laughs> enough money. You have yeah, I can no keep excuse. one afloat on my own. Right. I just can't afford to spend double what I've been spending. That's the problem. Uh, so well, any- you, don't, you don't have to spend double. You just spend the same amount and you get half the thing. <laughs> Well, then I need another reviewer to tell me what to buy, right? That's that's a problem when I'm trying to do reviews on my own. Yeah. In any case, okay, so so I find this out, and right. 
I had actually seen the first store and because it, it has cards in the name and on, and on the mall and I'd written it off right because it, you just I just figured it was you know baseball cards and yeah, collectible the- cards and they were gonna have five games and that's that well I mean it turns out they have a pretty decent board game selection okay. uh, you know maybe I wouldn't say half the store it's it's certainly not the focus of the store the focus is definitely cards as you could tell by the name and, and, and looking at those that are kind of hang around it, it seems to be more cards and role players, maybe even minis players. Um, you know, I haven't really tried to look, but I don't. I get the feeling like there aren't a lot of board gamers playing, uh, even though they have a board game night. But so in any case, that one was already there. They just opened up, and then on the second one I find out about, and uh, this one's called the Wandering Dragon, and. I had you know made a couple posts on BGG and I had talked to this guy, and I, I you know I had the opportunity to go out to the store and check it out, and you know I mean I really I don't know what my expectations would have been walking in, maybe I hadn't really thought about it, but I'll, I'll tell you this when when I opened the door, and walked in it it was like as if I'd entered Willy Wonka's chocolate factory for gamers. Okay. I mean, it's just, you know, you know how in that movie is, you know, it's just this boring kind of town that's real un you know, uninteresting by comparison to, you know, then you go into this like fabulous world where there's just candy and chocolate dripping everywhere and you just don't expect that from the outside of the place. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's what this was like, because in all of the board game stores that I've been to, I've never walked into a board game store where, and I'm not, I don't mean just the games, right? I mean, games are awesome. Games are awesome in any store. But just the overall way the place is laid out, decorated, what's in there, it's just not what I expected. And it's very different, a very different feel than any other board game store I've been into. And that's, in a way, one of the things that excites me most about going there is it's, it really is this more like, almost like a club type, but yet warm cozy i don't know i there's no good word that comes to mind to, to really describe it i don't know it just doesn't feel like a store right i mean there's stuff there but it's cor- sort of like if um if you're in just a like a really nice finished loft area you know and, and there were some game shelves with games for sale and there's this nice you know almost i think it's like a marble countertop at you know at, at the entrance where you know the register would would be and such and I've been on their website. I've checked out some of their images that they've posted. Oddly enough, the the one image that showcases uh, the largest area uh, of what the place is going to be is actually a picture of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> it's got some posters of the Rocketeer and Star Wars on it. And yeah, it, and I don't know. I mean, it, I, personally, me, I... It, it really reminds me of... Like a like a really well decorated home theater slash uh, like game area that you would see in some well yeah yeah no, yeah I, there you go I mean maybe it's it, maybe it has kind of like that like I, like I took my whole basement and just turned it into a game paradise right and yeah but, but where it did it like, really well you know exactly really classy and you know where it's got modern colored walls yeah, yeah you know maybe that's just decorations the it. it's just classier than any board game store i've been into because i mean most game stores typically will have like 
really oddball shelves, and they'll have a smell to them. A, you know, a <laughs> down carpet. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like whatever random shelves and furniture they could find, and yeah, um, yeah, and and you know, the, the, so when you go into the play area, there's mirrors on the wall that kind of like give a, a a larger atmosphere to to the room, and and there's actually windows and and light. I mean, wow, what what are they thinking? Right, it's supposed to look like a dark basement or some kind of that's crazy town you know, dungeon. I don't know. So, well, and then the other thing is just that it's very much board game focused. I mean, that's, it's, as far as I understand, the owner's agenda is really promoting board games and, uh, you know, he's a, he's going to be around, which is a huge plus compared to some other stores and, you know, kind of personally behind it and running it. Okay. And, uh, you know, again, just to have a large play area it, you know, where there, there's um, always room for games. And, and you know, he even uh, even thought it through a little bit in terms of there was another room kind of off the uh, the retail area where if he was having a big card event or something, board gamers can still go into this room. And there's at least a table there with the demo games and such. And they can kind of just, you know, uh, play there and, and not uh, be bothered by the other group or not bother the other group type of thing. And so... I don't know. It's just um, not to exaggerate it, but I mean, just to say that you know, it's not what you expect walking in, and in a good way, right? It just it stands out from other stores. It is different. I think it's worth checking out. You know, this certainly directed more towards the local gamers that might be listening, or anyone that might you know travel to Chicago on on occasion or or come through Chicago. It's really not too far off I fifty five here. So it's a very interesting place. And uh, along those lines, I've uh, offered up some of my own time to uh, to run the upcoming Descent preview nights. What a guy. Yeah, so I'll be doing that uh, Friday and Saturday, the, the 6th and the 7th of July, which are the kind of uh, nationwide days from FFG for that. Um, I even went so far as to contact FFG with a couple ideas, which they were very generous in um, basically accommodating. And, and so I've even been able to do some special stuff for the store due to those requests. Uh, in, a, in addition to that, uh, I'll be working with them to do a, a Wednesday night board game night. So I'll, basically I'll be out there each Wednesday night bringing at least one game, if not two, you know, newer things or uh, yeah, whatever it is that I'm prepared to teach. And, uh, you know, perhaps other events here or there on a Saturday. Uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Very cool. But, uh, but yeah, that's definitely different for me. So the whole, uh, you know, kind of, I think the F isn't what was missing as much as maybe the L. Uh, the, the, these stores are really close to me. And uh, so I think that affords me the ability to get involved in a way that just wouldn't really be possible to to a meaningful level if if they weren't as close as they are. Right. Excited to try some some different things with that. Um, and as well as because, again, uh, the store certainly has a little bit more of a, a board game agenda, uh, you know, being able to bring my wife out perhaps for, you know, certain things or even my son, those are uh, interesting options as well that, that uh, not just any store has. You know, I've, I've tried that with some of the other stores and, and not been successful. I think, you know, I've been what I've been trying to do is, is analyze myself and, you know, why won't I go to other stores and why won't I this and that. And so then I've been trying to turn that into suggestions to the owner and, and basically instead of suggesting, I'm basically offering, right? I'm like, well, I think I would want to go out more to preview events, right? If you get in games that I can't even buy online, 
I mean, how cool is that, right? Come out and play Descent 2nd Edition before you can possibly have obtained a copy yourself, right? Why wouldn't you want to do that? Try out new games um, that you can't otherwise, you know, so, so stuff like that. And and not just be, you know, I've heard a couple other people say, like, their store owner ordered them, but, you know, he's going to sit in on a table and say, here, guys, here you go, right? You know, we're obviously looking to do more than that, you know. Very cool. Okay, uh, and you know, there's just one other thing I wanted to comment on news-wise, which was I had talked about this game, Sedition Wars, um, Battle for Alabaster, I think is the subtitle there. And I'm kind of excited about the game because I'm a big Space Hulk fan, and you know, this kind of has a little bit of that feeling to it from what I can tell, or maybe it's a little Gears of War meets Space Hulk, or whatever the case might be. I, you know, there aren't really a enough details for me on, on gameplay, but you know, the minis are cool. The components look cool. I was definitely, you know, down with putting a hundred bucks or whatever on it. Well, here's the problem. So as they keep adding these extra levels, I've added to the pledge, right? $10 for this miniature, $20 for this tile set or whatever it is. And I did that for zombie side too. And I think I ended up spending about 160 bucks, which, you know, to get everything, which is considering Space Hulk was a hundred bucks, a uh, hundred sixty is pretty crazy. Yes, um, but hey, I was getting I'm getting a lot of stuff. Maybe I'm getting an expansions worth of things. I, I don't know. I, I have to talk myself into it. Made sense, right? I'm, I'm not not too thrilled with that. But okay, here's where Sedition Wars is. If I were to get everything, it's at three hundred and fifty dollars, and that's when I last counted. Okay, I've I've kind of ignored the last fifteen emails I've gotten in the last three days about all the other stuff. I can add to it. I, I don't know what to do with this game anymore. I mean, if I wanted one of everything, $400 or something like that, it, it's, I think they've really gotten ridiculous with this. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to quite call it predatory, <laughs> but I, there, there's gotta be, there's a level at which this seems like taking advantage of, of people. And, you know, enough for me that at this point I'm like, well, if I'm, I can't possibly buy all of this stuff. And if I can't afford everything, why am I buying anything? Right. Or at least why am I buying anything besides the base game? So instead of maybe adding to my pledge, maybe this is actually going to cost them money because some gamers hopefully, besides just me, are going to be like, this is too much. And back down just to the basic game. But then if you're going to do that, if you're just going to buy the basic game, then why not wait? Because then I'm going to be able to get it at a discount again, the whole online thing. Instead of $100, maybe it's 65 and so now look at it in total terms so i i could be spending 400 dollars and sure i get all this extra stuff or i could be spending 65 dollars. both dollar amounts are on an unproven game that i know nothing about i mean which which makes more sense so i don't know this has really caused me to reevaluate the way you know i was starting to get behind some of these kickstarter games again and i don't know because what i was thinking about some of these games was that you know, you'll get the, I'll call it the, the standard Kickstarter, where they just have a product and they want to sell it. And then other other titles seem to be... Yeah, and that was... More, they, they seem to be more planned out. Like, there's a plan of attack. Sure, and but it is, it is an attack. Like that. That's the thing. It's an attack because... On your wallet. <laughs> yeah, a game like Tooth and Nail, which, you know, almost barely got funded, but then in the final push... I think they made 22000 out of 15 they were looking for, which was very, very good for a little card game, one that I, I like the light game of. 
But then you look at, you know, even this the Duke game, which has now got levels upon levels. Uh, but but certainly cool minis is is the one that's taken it beyond any extreme I've I've seen right I mean even even ogre I didn't think was all that bad because most of the stuff wasn't stuff you I mean okay it was a bag and uh, you know I mean I was just really in for the hundred dollar level I didn't feel like I really was missing out on anything by not getting some of those other extras most of it was included in the hundred dollars uh, you know here sedition wars it's all about pre-buying promos that you're not going to be able to get these later i better buy them now you know then you want to justify it by saying well if they're kind of exclusive i could always sell them later on and make maybe even more money from an investment standpoint but what if the game totally sucks and no one wants it there's a lot of miniature games out there that you can't give away i think i've talked through it on the show here i've talked myself out of it yeah the the one thing that really struck stuck out for me at least for this game was that it, it almost seemed planned to me oh it, yeah it ha- of course it's planned i mean maybe zombie side wasn't maybe that one they were kind of kind of come trying to come up and that's why they didn't have as much stuff this one is kind of like they held back and you know i, I don't know if this is 100 percent representative of this product but you look at uh the alien uh frontiers oh i forgot what it was called the one that mm-hmm. uh Everybody's going to be getting the next couple weeks. Yeah, uh, there's a f- um, factions. Yeah, or... factions. That's right. It. So I remember. I mean, that's one of the couple of things that I've actually backed on Kickstarter myself, and and I remember right, right. getting those emails. And it's all their fault. It's all their fault that Kickstarter is even successful. <laughs> so, and I very oh, I yeah, do very much like Alien Frontiers, but they give the credibility. Like they're the, uh, oh, what was the uh, the first American Idol? What was her name? Kelly Clarkson. You know, it's like like the first one was good, and then the, all the other ones sucked. But that because of the first one, everybody's Everybody still lunches. well. I'm not, but you know, ten years later, it's like no, it seems like legitimate. But it's like, okay, yeah, I guess the third one did okay too. But so uh, on factions, they're going to have a couple of plastic pieces, you know, little domed buildings. Yeah, which so look forth. really. They look pretty cool, and I don't think that's it's. But I mean, you remember it was like a huge ordeal to design them. Yeah, because yeah. oh, time wise, updates. Yeah. You know what they. Oh, but to be fair, they're not a mini's company, so I, I'm sure there was more of a learning curve for them. True, very true. And you look at everything that they've added for Sedition Wars, and I mean, it's just nutty. I mean, there's characters, there's the drones, there's what was it? Ter- I think it was a terrain pack. Yeah, there's a terrain pack. You can get an extra tile set, so you can use the the backside that's not the kind of stuff that you sit there and you just like you know crank out overnight you know because some of them have like fairly nice models so yeah well a lot of it's not going to be a lot of it's not going to be delivered right away either so you might get the game six months from now or i mean actually i don't even think it would be that i mean they're already talking about shipping zombie side not that long from now but but the other stuff is very much like 2013 so you know this it could be a year from now before i get some of those promo models and, uh, here, and meanwhile, I'm out 200, but which is the other part of it too. I mean, may, you know, how much of my money or our money are they really, you know, they're making interest off of or whatever else, you know, as as it as it sits there in their bank account. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're spending some of it you know, here or there, but it's not like we're going to get that when the game comes out. And I think maybe that's where I draw the line. It's like, okay, you know, like again with Ogre, at least all the stuff's going to be in the box when I get it, or at least that's my understanding of it anyway. Or closer to that, let's say, you know, but but the whole, okay, let's pre-buy expansions, right? I mean, wh- where does that stop? Okay, we'll make an expansion in 2014. You can buy it now. 
at a discount. And, and then there's a 2015 one. And you could just keep just until they hit the $4 million level of, uh, you know, why doesn't Queen Games do that, right? I mean, they put out 10 games a year. Here's the 30 game pack. Get the next 30 Queen Games, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Just up front for 500 bucks or whatever it is. And if I need one promo, do I need 10 different promo characters? I mean, do I need do I need 80 extra models of this or that? I, how how big a game am I really going to play? And you know, at some point they're still going to put out an expansion. Isn't it better to expand a game through a real expansion versus just okay, load up more tiles and more guys and play in a way that the rules were never really probably even tested to play more cuz more stuff is better, right? right? I don't know. I so I'm, it's they they push too much. They pushed one or two promos too much, and I I think they've lost me. And if they do, you know, ten bucks at a time, that's easy to get from people versus a hundred at a time. Yeah, but that's what. But unfortunately, I look. It reminds me as I add the money, uh, you know, three hundred and fifty dollars. I'm like, no, no, this this is that. Because you've com- you know, let's say you've committed two hundred bucks, then you know the new one comes out. Well, it's only another ten bucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm already buying all these other promos. Come on, it's only right. ten more dollars. It's only twenty more dollars. It's only five more dollars. It's only ten more dollars. Yeah. This is every three days, though, with them. That's where you just got to step back and say, "Exactly, I'm taking a stand." <laughs> okay, so well, I can I can say for sure they're not going to get my three hundred fifty bucks. So moving on, my my wife and I we picked up the new Cormageddon uh, expansion for Couriers with a cool new normal box. Yeah, yeah, which is exactly why you know I was wavering over. Ah, do I really want this? Do I not? I mean, Couriers was always a game that I was I liked, but I never loved, right? Yeah. But then I you know you have to get this expansion because of the storage solution, right? It just it, the original game is like, where what am I going to do with this tin and this tiny little box? The first expansion came in and it just. I don't know. So I, I, I got to ask, how's the new box? Because I saw the box on the shelf, but I didn't do any investigation. The, the box kind of yeah, sucks. Really? The, it's a little flimsy, and it's a little too small for everything. Still? I, I, yeah, I mean, like, if you're putting the bags in there and the other stuff, that, like the top of the box, just it almost feels like it's going to, you know, rise right up a little bit. But that aside, I mean, I'm, that's just nitpicking. I mean... The quality of the box and the size of the box aside, I mean, if they were going to do it, I just feel like they could have made it just a little bit sturdier and bigger. Right. But the way that the dice are stored are, is very nice, very nice. Now, a lot of people didn't know the proper way, and I I admit to I never had to figure it out because I read it before I got the game. I think even Tom Vassell didn't know how to – there wasn't enough room to store all the dice. Well, there's a, a tray where you store them, and they store them in nice little sets, so each little – separate set of the courier dice fits in one row and there's three rows total and then there's compartments for the cards and everything uh, but the lid which is molded there's actually room on top of the lid to then place the quiddity dice and uh, I don't uh, what are the brown ones called agents or something yeah, like that yeah. I forget now but so you can put those on, system, on the lid isn't it? 
assistance. Yeah, there you go, assistance. Yeah. So those those are all down the the lid, and then all the other ones are nice. I sorted them actually kind of by expansion because there was room and you know spells and creatures and stuff. Um, so on that level, it's really nice. It's just again, I, I just thought the box could was a little flimsy and a little smaller than it needed to be, considering this was a big part of what you're paying for. I mean, otherwise, the the game itself, Cor- Cormageddon, includes 40 dice, which isn't really that many. Right. That, that it actually corresponds to six new creatures and two spells. So you know, I was thinking you know, it could have been a few more spells, maybe, or maybe eight creatures, four spells. I, you know, it, it just could have been a little more. I mean, a lot of what you're getting is a storage tray in the box. So there's you know, 18 creature cards, eight spell cards that go with those. Uh, so 40 dice, 26 cards. And then there's a rule book, which is 12 pages, which is a a pretty big improvement over the original one size wise. Okay. And and that was the that was the real reason I, I wanted to get it because not only did I want the storage solution, but I, I had heard, you know, the rules were really revised and and uh, I thought maybe that'll improve the playing experience of Corriers, uh to to where instead of being kind of on the borderline of, of what I like it now it's like oh wow they've really made it this great game and did it well and I mean just to talk about the rules changes there aren't that many so the bulk of that 12 page rules is really just examples and clarifications and again not that that wasn't needed but I never really felt like I didn't understand the game because, you know, at the, at the point in time, you had to go to BoardGameGeek or somewhere and, and look up what the answers to questions were or write or reference an FAQ. And so I kind of already had all of that answered. So I, there wasn't a lot of value in that part of the rules for me. And then if, if you look at the rules changes, so one of the rules changes is there's now a new spent pile. So the, there's a new spent pile that holds dice before they go to the used pile. And, you know, I believe this is implemented because there's some new effects that make use of this. But I'm not a fan of this change because now you have five spots to keep your dice in, right? So there's the bag, the active pool, the ready area, the spent pile, and the used pile. And it's a fairly small bag, too, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, do you see a problem with that for a simple game? Are there five areas that I'm shuffling dice between? I mean, first of all, for your casual player, what's the chance they don't mess that up? I mean, you better really be watching people. Right. And, and and even then, what's the chance they're not confused by that? Okay, you know, I, I, I take them from my bag and then I place them. I ro- well, first of all, I got to roll them. So technically, you could even call that a sixth area. So I take them from the bag, I got to roll them. Then I got to take them and place them on the active pool. Then I got to move certain ones to the spent pile to move other ones to the ready pile. And then I got to u- move both of the remaining active pool and the spent pile to the used pile. And then at the beginning of my turn, of course, the ready area goes to, uh, you know, Actually, now I can't even recall if it goes to the spent pile now or the used pile. You know, what it used to have been to the used pile, but I believe they go to the used pile. But but that's the point, right? It's like it's even confusing me, and I had played the game quite a bit, and I've also played the expansion now quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's a little needlessly... I don't know that that's an improvement is all I guess I'm saying. Or it's not the type of improvement I was looking for, right? And then, okay, so here's the next change. Okay. This is actually the only other change. So the first was the addition of the spent pile. The second is that drawing, uh, rolling, drawing and rolling and reading creatures has now been combined into one phase, which has almost no effect on the game, really. Hmm. There's some ordering things with the order that things happen that, that you can now kind of 
it maybe adds a little bit, but but that's it. I mean, that's it. That's the, that's the that's the big major changes that the rules have introduced. Outside of that, there's two optional rules which are interesting. The the best ones probably that you can capture two dice, which is basically means purchase instead of just one, which is the normal limit. The other one, and some people are a real fan of this one, and I'm not so sure I am, is what they call expert calling. And this is where you must call the die that you scored. So supposedly this is supposed to help the runaway leader problem. And it's it's okay. I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe okay isn't even fair. Maybe it's very good at, at solving that issue, right? The problem is, A, it slows down the game, and B, and I've seen it argued the other way, but to me, in every way, it removes a decision from the game. So instead of deciding, okay, what do I call and why? Well, I mean, now it's just, okay, well, you just you call the die you use. I mean, there's no right. decision there, right? I mean, it's just done for you. Again, that part was definitely disappointing with the expansion. Is It, it certainly didn't have the effect I wanted it to have, that, the, that somehow Couriers became this even better experience than it had been before. Uh, and there wasn't enough stuff in the in the box, I think, for the for the price and stuff. And it really is more about buying it as a storage solution. <laughs> yeah. It's the right way to look at it. And uh, and you know, I mean, to be fair, some of the um, I, actually, I think the two spells particularly, I thought were kind of neat. Um, the creatures, maybe a little less so. There's there's some interesting ones, but you know, I mean, overall, I mean, let's talk. So let's talk about quarters in general, though. And you know, now that I've played it a bit with the expansion. And of course, I had the plays before, and I, I think I looked it up. And on episode three, I talked about playing it. That was a, a less than satisfying play, and I kind of had written it off as, you know, uh, sometimes they're going to go that way, right? Where they just seem wildly random and <laughs> unsatisfying. Yeah. And but yeah, I mean, Quarters, Quarters is a strange game for me because it it is largely luck based and, and kind of super random at times, uh, especially compared to deck building games. I mean, the thing that I'd say about it. Is, is look at it this way. Okay, it, it, let's compare it to, say, Dominion, right? So we're playing Dominion, and you've got... Uh, or, or, you know, even even think about it. Let's say we have the same cards. You have five copper, five silver, five gold, right, in your deck. Okay. And I have the same of all of those. Right. Okay, you may well draw all five copper, and I draw all five gold, right? And you go, sure. oh, look, look right. at that. I mean, look at his luck compared to mine. But... You know, or I mean, actually, I don't know that drawing all five gold would even be that good. But you, you see where I'm going. I mean, I draw a better hand out of those cards than you draw. But ultimately, you're going to eventually get your other cards, right? So I mean, you draw a bunch of copper, I draw a bunch of gold. You're going to get your gold, and I'm going to end up with the copper, right? It's just a matter of when, and is it the combinations that we prefer, right? Right. But in couriers, we again could have the exact same stuff. You know, the equivalent of copper, silver, gold, and you might roll the five copper every single turn, and I roll the the gold every single turn, and then there's no balancing out. Right. And, and that's that's just it. I mean, so that's the problem is there's a lot more randomness to, to me than in a regular deck building game because of that. You know, you have the randomness of the draw and then the randomness of the die roll and maybe not even getting what it is. Uh, you know, that part of the rich get richer then gets even more dramatic if you happen to roll poorly. And you're now you're buying better dice. Now you maybe happen to roll better too. And I don't know, what have you found, Rob? You've played this too, right? Yeah, I've, I've played it a couple times. 
on that. It was for me. It was a purchase that was really, really uh, reinforced by the fact that I loved Dominion. I was in a huge Dominion phase. It was getting all the Dominion expansions. Couriers was coming out. I was really excited because you know it was always billed as the you know the the dice version of Dominion, and I played it a couple times, and the the whole playing experience was a little lackluster. I mean, I, I really want to get it to the table again, but uh, every time I kind of look at the, you know, the tin that it comes in, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd rather play something well, else. This and, is the thing. Right, right, exactly. It's, and You'd rather play something else, and, and you think about it, are there are there any interesting decisions in Couriers, really? I mean, you know, my wife is, is worse than me at remembering games, right? If she's lucky, if she even remembers that she played it. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, you know, with a couple of the ones lately. Because well, she's getting to where she's played so many games now, too, I guess. Since she, she doesn't geek out on... They all run together. Yeah, keeping track of them all as much as I do. Uh, some of them blend together. But in any case, so I, I the first game we played of Cormageddon, I had pretty much, you know, talked her through it. Um, she likes to learn as she goes with, with stuff like that. That's, that's so simple enough. So had she ever played Courier's base? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We played Courier's, the base game, absolutely. And But she'd just simply forgotten you know, any of the, the, the details to it. So I kind of talked her through the first game, and you know, I was like, well, you know, okay, you're going you're gonna to call your worst die. Uh, you know, you're going to draw and, and roll and then attack, and you're going to always defend with your best die, and you know, you're always going to pretty much buy the best thing you can or choose from those with the exception of maybe some of the spells that give you a little bit of an engine building thing. But, but again, that's an early on decision. So it's, it's pretty well destined, you know, but you know, you move some dice around it. It just, just not a lot of interesting decisions. I mean, not to say that some of them are potentially meaningful, but then you do the right thing and you just roll poorly or you roll well and you did the wrong thing. And it, it's, it's just pretty darn random, right? Drawn from the bag, rolling every, every part about it. And, you know, I, I think as we played it more, you know, and, and so then we played it, you know, again, and, and it wasn't like, I started looking then more at my experience that time. And there weren't like clever, satisfying combinations of dice so much as you get sometimes with the deck builders where you're like, ah, ha, ha, you know, and you're like, I play this one and I play that one. And you, know, you feel like you kind of really accomplished something. You know, there's not that much player interaction. I mean, yeah, I attack that, you know, but whatever, right? I mean, it's kind of yeah. routine. It's really, it's just kind of all gimmick. And, you know, and, and so he, that all aside... I knew all of that. I, I thought all of that when I had Couriers. And, and the thing for me was it, it was, you know what, it, it plays quick enough. That's what it is. And, and you know what, it, it's, it's dice building, not deck building. And, and, but then as I thought about it more, I'm, I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I looked at the, the clock this time. It does not play all that quick. <laughs> we were playing two players. It, it just doesn't play, it, it, to me, it plays more like the length of a deck building game. Uh, right. not, not like the length of a filler game. And so as I started looking at the time, I'm like, hmm. No, it's not, you know, I'd rather play a, an actual deck building game in that amount of time, even if it's just like a lighter one, Ascension, whatever. And I, I will say this, though. It is absolutely, absolutely the best dice building game I've ever played. Because it's the only one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what isn't cool about dozens of custom dice? I mean, they're really cool, and I was, I was so exciting opening the expansion, too, because there's more of them, and they're really cool colors and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, but, I'm kind of kind of going to knock it a little bit, because 
some of my dice were yeah you know the card not 100 percent yeah but and i was really surprised how itty bitty the dice were i figured that they'd be a little bit bigger i mean they're a little too small for my taste but that's okay but you know I i love looking at dice but you know i started thinking about it and you know, if you want some really cool dice, maybe that Iron Die game that's coming to America now, right? They've got all these custom three-dimensional dice that aren't even just square dice. Maybe that's the thing to look at. I don't know. And, you know, the expansion, I don't know. It just didn't really add that much. And it's one of those games I think everybody should try, right? I mean, it, it's one of those, if, if you had the collection that was a, the type of thing that somebody's going to, you know, say, hey, you have, you know, Kalos, you have Quarriers, right? I mean, it's just one of those games that should be in a collection like that. But... This was an interesting application. I mean, we talked about the Jones theory, where it worked and where it didn't work. And I and I thought this is an interesting one with the scratching the itch version, right? Where some a lot of people like to like to look at more of the mechanics and such. And you know, and of course, I, I think they went on another show talking about how that wasn't really their case. But um, the definition seems to evolve or change a lot, right? I mean, the, the basic is just get rid of games. But but I like the scratch the same itch version, right? And that's what I started looking at here. As I was thinking of it as like, I got to keep this game because it's a dice building game. But no, in terms of scratching the itch, the itch it scratches is very much along the deck building lines. But deck building games scratch it so much better for me. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, so as I look at that, I'm like, you know, it, it's like one of those, you know, like what you had just said. It's like you can play Quarriors and then still be itching for something. Then you play Dominion, Ascension, you know, Nightfall, whatever. And then you go, ah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But <laughs> why am I? You know, I already feel like I have. There's too many deck builder games, and I'm like, I'm already almost feel like I'm burning out on those a little bit. And and so, this, yeah. As I as I looked at this one, I was just like, no, no. There's, I don't, I don't need it in my collection. And and so I'm not. I'm actually a, for everything I've said, I'm not really knocking the game. I'm not really saying it's a bad game. I mean, it, it's it's fun. It's got cool dice, right? It it it's yeah. still quicker than some things, but I, you know, I. I it it just doesn't it's not that that's really what it came down to. I'm gonna talk about ways that I get rid of games and one of the most useful one was this new ratings thing I do. And I look at it as like basically I have to rate a game an eight to keep it. And so I was looking at Couriers and or Cormageddon, especially after that, and going, Okay, I gotta um, if I'm keeping it I'm putting an eight on it, I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not it's not an eight. You cannot with good conscience. No, I yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting how that works for me now. Um I didn't have that before, so... You know, one thing that's kind of surprising is that the Quarriers came out, what, about a year ago almost? So I thought it was right around... Uh, last just year, after, Gen Con? Yeah, right, or right around Gen before. Con. I know it was the big thing at Gen Con. Yeah, because, yeah, at Gen Con it was out already. And I, I think it hit, it hit the stores shortly after Gen Con. Right, but right. anyway, there's really no copies of it. You know, well, nobody yeah, it else sold, is really. It sold like crazy. I mean, everybody had to have a copy of it. Well, what I mean is, nobody's copied it. Oh, yeah. To come up well, with okay, alternative dice. Yeah, games. and you know what? That's the other thing I thought about it. You know, in a way, it is the dominion of of dice building, right? It's just begging for somebody to come in and do it better. Right. Right. I mean, they kind of, you know, of course they built off of Dominion to begin with, but in uh, in Dominion in turn built off of other things, but. It just the concept of the way that they've structured stuff and, you know, just add some other layer of theme and depth in a way, maybe at least for some Thunderstone did to Dominion, right? That's the game I think I want, whatever that is, whatever that next one is. And and until then, I don't feel like I need Quarriors any longer. 
And, and so, yeah, I mean, in my terms of my rating scale, it's, it's somewhere around a six. And a six for me is that, that sort of magical, if I were collecting games, I would have it in my collection just because it is unique in some ways. But as a type of game, I'm going to go around and champion, right? And go, you know, you got to buy this game. You got you to play this game. Uh, not quite yeah. so much, right? Worth trying just to try it. But yeah, I, it was one of those cases where the expansion was really going to make the decision for me. And I've got other games. Again, I usually use Battleship, uh, yeah, Battleship Galaxies as the example there where I'm kind of, well, of course, I'll probably always have that game because there never will be an expansion. But I was kind of waiting for that first expansion to go, oh, okay, okay, yeah, there's there's enough really to it. And so, you know, another another one in that realm, a little less so than Quarters, is, is Kingdom Builder. I mean, I like Kingdom Builder a lot. We've talked about it, but yes. a, a, a bit of it was based upon what I thought they'd be able to do in the first expansion. And so I'm, I'm, I've got it, getting more plays in that, and, you know, we'll see if uh, if they're able to achieve what I, I don't feel Quarters did with with uh, expansions. You continue to evolve it and keep it interesting. So that was uh, Cormageddon. Okay, excellent. I've got a couple more titles than you uh, for a change here, I guess. Uh, yeah, you played more than me. Yeah, believe it or not. So there, there's a couple of the, the usual hitters for me, you know, where it's been Zuloretto Werfelspiel. Uh, got that one to the table a bunch of times. Uh, played it with some coworkers some more uh, at work during lunch. So that was kind of fun. And uh, interesting little side note up to that. One of my buddies that sits next to me that I've been working with, he actually, I believe it was today, he started hassling me. He's like, man, how come you haven't brought that game around? Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm like, yes. That's when you know hooked. you've hooked somebody, yeah. It's hooked. And uh, so uh, there was, okay, Zuloretto Werfelspiel. I got some Lost Cities in. You know, that was, Lost Cities is a cool game to bring out every once in a while. It reminds you of why you enjoy the game, and then you can put it back in the shelf to bring it out a couple months later. Uh, I got my son a copy of Manza for his birthday, the Haba game. That game is actually pretty fun. Uh, have you ever played that one? Yeah, I I have a you know I pretty much have every Haba, Haba game. It feels like, but uh, the Manza for my son is maybe he's maybe a little bit too young to play it right. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, with our son, he's he just turned four. He still needs a little bit of help. But he's getting there, and and yeah. for and for me, it's a fresh change because I don't want to call it I, I made a mistake, but I bought the Cars Sliders game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you talking about that one a while ago, and I mean, oh, that thing just drives me bonkers. So this is kind of the same thing, you know, where the cars go around the track, except it's a lot more daddy friendly, a lot more manageable. A lot less work. So, uh, you know, uh, that, that's a pretty fun game. Nice, small profile, cute colors, roll dice. Basically what you do is there's a, 
a three-lane track with multiple colored rectangles on it that spans uh, you know the whole track and you roll six colored dice or I'm sorry there's six dice with different colors on the different sides and you basically choose the dice to you know make your next move so you to advance you might need red then blue then you can choose white or green and it allows you to switch lanes and go around obstacles it's a really fun game very light takes i mean the game's over in less than probably five minutes as an adult you can probably finish the game within five rolls and it's you know, and it's still available, which is another plus because a lot of the hobby games, <laughs> I, I get it, and then I want to tell someone about it like even three months later, and say, like, oh, yep, there one place that had them is already sold out, and there's nowhere else to get them. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and you can order it from Europe for only fifty dollars shipping. Right. So you know, got a whole bunch of uh, Monza games in. In fact, just played it about three hours ago, four hours ago, with my son. Did the usual numeri. Uh, that that game's still pretty fun, you know, for the time being. Well, I want to I want to talk about uh, Lost Cities for a moment, if we could. Yeah, absolutely. Which I, I was going to mention, I'm not so much a fan of this game, and it's really because I think other games have replaced it for me, right? It, with talking about the scratching the itch thing. Sure. I love that you brought it up because I've been kind of keeping track of my pet peeves. Right, I want to get to I want to get to ten. Okay. All right. We <laughs> have one of those you know, 10 lists of my pet peeves, but, but, you know, here we go. I've, I've said the other ones before. Here's a new one. I really don't like games where you have to add up and multiply scores into the hundreds each round. I just, okay. I, I don't, I don't find that fun. Uh, you know, and, and this is coming from a guy that'll play 18 XX or some, some kind of game where you, you have to do, but even, of course, even that is the one problem there is after four hours of doing that, um, but at least that's part of the gameplay, right? It's as opposed to, I don't know. I just it it feels very old school. I mean, I used to do that when I was six with games back then. Everything was you know, tally all these little things on a sheet and add it up, and you yeah. know, I've got you know six hundred points and yeah. and you know just as a quick aside for the people not hundred percent familiar with uh, Lost Cities, when you basically it's done with cards and you're you're matching colors and, and building them in front of you in in uh, numerical order. The cards are two through ten, right? Yeah, two through ten. So when you start off, you're different. They call them expeditions. You start off that expedition with minus twenty points, and there's multipliers that you can add on to them, which you know will take you from minus twenty to minus forty, minus sixty, whatever points. So scoring for this game can be a chore and there's actually apps out there yeah which just proves the point right that there would be and and so that's the thing and then you look at the randomness in the game and you know i've talked about other games where i find it acceptable there's the one game here or there that's just wildly off and and you just kind of you know you just accept that one because most of them there there's randomness but the better choices usually help you to win right most of the time that one weird game aside but I didn't find that as much in Lost Cities. I just felt like when once you know the game, the choices are more obvious within what you happen to have got, right? Yeah. And there was just better two-player games that scratched that same itch. And, and so, you know, Balloon Cup was one that we talked about just a few shows ago, which is very much right. 
you know, valued cards and stuff. And I just find a lot, you could argue that a lot of people do that. That one's too random. But for me, there's a lot more control in that game, especially as you learn it very well and what the strategies are in it. I've found that one better. I've, I enjoy battle line more, even something like blue moon would, you know, be another one where you're kind of playing numbered cards uh, or for that matter, the Ivanhoe one that I mentioned, uh, which doesn't work quite like one side of the table versus the other, but it, it's again, it's a little bit of the same vein. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just a little too random and annoying for me. And so it's it's uh, I don't care for it at all. And I mean, I know it gets thrown out there as like a, a starter gateway game, but it's decent. Yeah, I mean, for that, I guess it's OK, but it's it's pretty easy to me to move beyond that. And I think it, I don't know. Again, it's one of those. I, I feel like maybe people more people like it just because it was one of the first ones they played and they they know it really well. And you know, nobody does want to, a lot of people don't like reading new rules and having to learn new games. And so, you know, you can always grab that one, throw it on the table and it's, it's easy to pick up. Uh, the investment cards kind of, you know, I don't know if I'm thrilled with that mechanic in the game either. Um, sometimes that seems kind of randomly against you. And, um, now there's been a lot of online versions of this, a lot of apps for it. I mean, this was actually on the Xbox back when, and then they pulled it for a while. It may still not be there, but there's all kinds of places you could play this. You could play this on Facebook, I think. Yeah, there's a, a version on there. There's a, a fairly new website. I believe it's out of England. Yeah. Where they have a couple of Reiner's games. And, and I, I, I thought I read maybe even good. iOS was going to have one, a version of it soon. But this is, it's just not one for me. I mean, and in and, and additional it, online plays didn't, didn't help. Uh, I obviously had the physical copy for a long time. I don't know. Just again, just there's better games than the play numbers on the sides of a of a of a little board game for me. So Yeah, the Happy Meeple version, I play it every once in a while. And it's interesting how when I play it on there, it's kind of a mindless game. Because most of the time it doesn't match you up with another person, so you wind up playing a bot. But I mean just sitting there just like click, 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 and then you know, a couple minutes later the game's done. Yep. So, I mean, very, you know, regardless of what it is, it's very much filler and it can be very almost mindless to play. But it's, it's still decent. No, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'd have to think about it, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking like a three for me. Yeah, I dislike wow. it that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I, I genuinely dislike Lost Cities. It's not just that there's better games. I just, I just don't, I don't really see that it does much for me. So I'll probably get flack for that. I'm sure. You're, you're allowed to think that, and you're allowed to get flack. So then another game that we got to the table, my wife and I did, uh, and, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about your wife not remembering games. So Zularetto was probably maybe the third game that I ever introduced her to. I remember, because I remember you said and she didn't like it. She hated it. Yep. In fact, she called it a stupid game. Yeah, and I felt bad because I had kind of recommended it. Yeah, you did. I, I held you responsible. But anyway, so, 
you know, now it's, you know, quite some time later and, and she's gone through a lot of, you know, other games, you know, much heavier games and, and she's enjoyed them. And she loved the game. I mean, she's played the dice game, which she really mm-hmm. liked. So mm-hmm. she got to see, because you know, she's played Colorado, she's played Zularetto, uh, the dice game. And now she had the regular game and she loved it. And she loved the whole mechanic. And I told her, I'm like, you know, this this was the game that you said was a stupid game. She's like, I did. Yeah. Now, she had no recollection. You, you liked it as a two-player but, game? Yeah, it was okay. Because I, I actually was thinking about it, and I'm not sure I've ever played it as a two-player game. I, I mean, I have Zularetto, a bunch of expansions. I have Aqualetto. Mm-hmm. But back when I played it a lot, I played it with family, and it was really always three-player. And I know it played extremely well, and um, I just it's one of those... I've not really gone back to it's still still made all the callings and stuff uh, you know I, I, I still believe <laughs> I like it um, but it's hard for me to really comment too much because it, it, it has really been a long time since I've gotten that to the table or uh, aqua Retto for that matter so yeah it's a decent game and it it plays like uh, Colorado does when it's yeah I, I, I mean I, I've mentioned before I like games with a spatial element because I think it adds a layer of strategy and I know that both of those games had that in a different way, right? I mean, with Zularetto, because there's the you're actually choosing what goes in which pen, and sometimes you're making choices then around that, and and uh, then Aquaretto because you you don't even really have a board as so much as you're laying out the tiles and such. So, yeah, I, I did find. I mean, one thing I do remember is I, I got kind of bummed with the expansions because the one that I got in which was Zularetto Exotic while interesting was the kind of expansion that I'm like, I don't want to use this every time. Right. And I think those are not good expansions. You know, an expansion is supposed to make the game so much better that you go, I would never play without this. Right. Uh, I don't know that I, I like the idea of expansions. They're like, oh, that's kind of neat. That's that's nifty, but I'm not going to use it again. That's more like the promo, right? <laughs> yeah. You go, oh, okay, that's cool, but uh, yeah, sho- shove it back in the box. And, and what was kind of interesting, too, was after we played it a couple times, I told my wife, yeah, there's a whole bunch of expansions. We both went up on BGG, and she actually found some, and, and she printed out uh, the petting zoo. Yeah, the little ones are okay, some of them, though. Yeah. But it sounds like so, you didn't like them. No, the only one that we played with was the petting zoo, and that was just one that we printed out from okay. like, shots. Yeah, I mean, from my again, and, from my memory, maybe my memory is coming back here, but I remember there's like two little... Um, promo kits or not you know but back before there were promos yeah there's like a sheet right yeah there's the gorilla well not the the little ones but there's like a full sheet that has like three promos yeah yeah there's the gorilla the polar bear and then there's a general expansions one which actually includes the petting zoo so the petting zoo is supposedly like one of the better ones from what i was reading and we kind of lucked out by playing that one that's the one where yeah when you make a baby, you put a baby on the petting zoo and you immediately get a coin. So it lets you get three additional coins throughout the game. So you get a little more money. The, the ones that I was talking about are called Zularetto Rio Grande Games Expansion Pack 1 and Expansion Pack 2. Okay. And I think one of them even has some Aquaretto stuff, which, darn it, they're, at the time their marketing swayed me because because of that I'm like, well, I have expansions for Aquaretto. I, now I need the base game. So, <laughs> And I like Zularetto, so... Uh, 
but yeah, I, th- those I liked, especially for the money. I mean, they were like maybe you know five or six bucks or something. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, there was, there, I'd have to go through it and look, but yeah, those I thought were worth it. Zulerado Exotic was interesting, but I just felt like not enough. And then I've I've looked through some of the other ones, and I and that's I'd kind of lost interest in the other expansions. So it's kind of like the base game with with these smaller ones and then Aquavirado with just these smaller ones. And that's what we had enjoyed. And I'd played a lot of it at the time when I did play it. So, um, I don't know if that's, that means anything now, but yeah, I'll have to get back to it at some point. So yeah, it was a decent game, but I, I thought it was kind of interesting that she had no recollection of it. You know, just like how your wife did. Whereas I remember them all. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we got a whole bunch of uh, Zularetto games in. That, that was actually quite a bit of fun. And then probably the most notable one, for a number of reasons, uh, that we had played was I introduced her to uh, St. Petersburg, mm-hmm. which uh, also happens to be in Yucatan. But it's a uh, interesting oh, is it? little card. I've never have played ever... it there. I, I've played the game, but I hadn't played it on Yucatan. Yeah, it's it's on there. It. It's, I've played it before on there, and it's it, it's kind of long because I mean you just take so many. Yeah, moves one of the ones that doesn't translate so well. Yeah, I mean, and I'm finding that with more and more games. But anyway, that's beside the point. So Saint per- Petersburg, really cool little game. Uh, it's kind of like a it's sort of like a deck building economic game. Mm-hmm. In some respect. So you've got this uh, board that you lay out where you have four decks of cards that you draw from. And each deck you draw from in a different phase. So there's a worker phase, a builder phase, an aristocrat phase, and a, I call it the upgrade phase, but in their nomenclature, it's the the trading phase. And what you basically do is you keep drawing until you run out of money. And you get these little paper rubles, uh, which are a big pain. Although they're a little easier than... The, the, the paper money in this game is slightly easier than some other games like Lords of Vegas. Because the, the paper's not as thin. Yeah. Because Lords of Vegas, it's kind of... I mean, it's not tissue paper, but it's that really thin paper. This is a, a little more heavier weight paper. So, you know, you go through and... You lay out initially four cards, uh, and you buy. You have a starting pot of twenty-five bucks each or twenty-five rubles each, and you go through and you pick up your cards. Then you go to the next phase. You roll out eight cards, or at least there's a total of eight cards. If anything was left over from previously, just add on to it until there's eight total. There's never more than eight on the table at once, and uh, you just keep building up your deck of cards where you essentially make an engine to build money, which is through the uh, worker phase. The building phase is kind of where you get points. Then the aristocrat phase is where you get points and money. And then the upgrade phase kind of just lets you upgrade one of the other three phases with uh, uh, usually pretty sweet cards. 
So we wanted to play in this game quite a bit, and it was actually a lot of fun. And this was also the first game, because last week's show I had mentioned that we had purchased some chips, mm-hmm. some paper chips. Uh, so maybe you were enjoying the chips, though, not the game. Yeah, <laughs> we started using chips, and it was interesting because, you know, I brought out the, the case of chips, and I'm like, hey, let's let's try these out. And my wife's like resistant. She's like, no, no, I want to use the money. I want to use the money. Mm. Yeah. I mean, no, no, I want to use the chips. <laughs> so, needless to say, we use the chips, and my wife's like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, once you go with chips, was, you can't go back. Yeah, the game was actually kicked up a notch using the chips because it just, I hate fumbling with the money. Well, it, just, it, it cuts time out of the game, oh, in my yeah. observation, and that's an important thing for, for a lot of people, but definitely, definitely me. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, time. I had my little stacks of, you know, different denominations, and it's like, hey, you want to buy this card for, you know, 11 rubles? Bam! You know, yeah, I mean, the only time it becomes a problem is when you, when money would be, you know, if it's hidden behind a screen, well, it doesn't matter, right? Chips are money, but sometimes money is just hidden by nature of it being paper, right, in a stack. It's hard and, to yeah, see, exactly. but you can count chips, so that... That in some games makes a big difference, but yeah, we wound up making some screens because in the game you you don't want to you don't want that to be public. Yeah, but, it depends yeah, we, on how you play and who you play with too. I mean, some people will be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really paying attention to your chips, but other people oh. will be, you know, adding it up on their phone. <laughs> so, you know, we played a whole bunch of games of this, and then uh, she wanted to play on Yucatel a little bit, and I I had a kind of ask her, like, please stop sending me invitations. Uh, yeah. We're not out of this well, game. Like so, man, let me get a bunch of hate mail for this, but St. Petersburg, for me, kind of falls into that Notre Dame category, where uh, I think it's just the kind of game that reminds me, though, why I like Ameritrash as well. <laughs> okay. Just, just because it's, it is, you know, where, where Notre Dame is the sort of dry cube pusher, themeless, this is kind of a dry card game disguised as a board game. Yeah, I mean, the board is totally unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, remember, that was one of my pet peeves <laughs> So with games. But, you know, a you know, boring theme. I mean, the, I don't know if there was enough interesting decisions for me. or You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of games where the board is totally unnecessary, but it's still nice to have. I mean, Ascension. You don't yeah, but that's board. different because it feels like a bonus there, right? Like it's it's a bonus in St. Petersburg yeah. too. Yeah, but then call it a card game, not a board game, right? I mean, nobody refers to Ascension as a board game, really. I mean, you refer to it as a card game. So St. Petersburg is a card game; it's not a board game. It's anyway. a deck building game. Well, no doubts about it. it. I mean, one of the problems, and and so this is again where where like I'll I give in to the people that like Notre Dame and St. Petersburg because it does. It, it, there, there obviously is some depth to it because you will see that the people that play it a lot do better, right? Although I still argue that's that's still true of almost anything. But it, it, like it can be unforgiving, you know, for the for the player who, due to randomness, you know, falls behind in a turn, right? Uh, yeah, because you can totally pull a bad move. And have a really tough time in recovery. Yeah, I mean, you know, the components and our worker, uh, you know, and I don't know, the, the game, it kind of just like feels like work again. And that's, it's, I hate saying that about games, right? Because 
I mean, I'm a guy that likes. I like. I, I have played war games with logistics. I mean, there is not any. Nothing's more work than that, right? Or or 18xx where you're you know like calculating values or something. Um, even though I don't play that one so much anymore, but but still, I don't know. There's just something about certain games when you're just doing a lot of routine things or pushing around cubes and stuff. Um, where I'm just there. There's a lot of games that have taken that and added more to it, and that's what I, I think. It's not. I, I don't hate either game. It's not in my dislike category. It's just in the. I don't know. It could. It. it it's fun to tinker around with here or there, but it's just so many games out there. I don't know. I, yeah. Well, I mean, what you're kind of saying is, you know, of the deck building crowd, for example, you know, you've got Dominion, but you've got all these other games that have done a different, possibly better, fresher. But that doesn't mean that the means back. It's me talking pro for the for the Jones theory again, right? It's you know I see I use the word champion where they where they described it more as you know when you have the five worker placement games it's like this is the one you're going to pull out because you know it so well. It was like but see the reason's different, right? So so St. Petersburg again, that's what I'm trying to get at is like if 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 that's been in your collection for 8 years and your game group knows it and stuff, this is going to be that go-to game because you're looking at the shelf, you you got these games that you don't know quite you know the rules or whatnot and you go, "Okay, well let's just play St. Petersburg," right? Nothing wrong with that. But look at it from the opposite perspective of somebody where that's the new game on the shelf and you know, you've got kind of these lackluster components, and you've got this other shiny new game that's maybe a little more uh, evolved depth or added theme or something. And it's like, is St. Petersburg is going to just over time kind of be this this one that's kind of shoved to the back of the shelf? And, and that's okay. You know, yeah, it's okay I, it's until you get too many games, but <laughs> you can never have too many. At some point, then from the Jones theory point of view you're looking at you know again i like i like to now start saying it from the scratching the itch perspective and it's like well what itch does saint petersburg scratch or what itch itch does uh, notre dame scratch and you know for me i think there's other games that that easily scratch that itch other than the itch and this is a special itch right the itch of of i want to scratch the saint petersburg itch right i want to scratch the notre dame itch right because you like that particular game so much and and that's maybe i don't know i'll, I'll pick on one of my t- 10 rated 10 games that I haven't rated a 10 yet, but we'll say Space Hulk. Are there better games than Space Hulk that have evolved since then? Yeah, probably. I don't know that I've found one, but uh, you know, I don't, you could, you could, some people would certainly argue that. But for me, because I know Space Hulk so well, because I know the nuances of the strategy to it that other people still claim isn't there, right? It's funny, you, you, one person says that the gene stealers always win, and that's why I don't like the game, and then the next person goes, well, the Space Marines always win, and that's why I don't like the game. And so, well, just the fact that two groups of people could say the opposite things means they, they, they can't both be right, right? They, they kind of have to both be wrong. So, But that's the that's the thing for me. So I, I'm sure lots of people are like, that game is garbage, it's too simple, it's too random. But, you know, there's reasons why it gets played for me or, you know, why um, why it's still top of my mind. Right. Uh, so maybe that's my St. Petersburg or my Notre Dame because it's otherwise, I, I don't know if it's a game I could defend to everyone and say, yeah, you have to go get this game because I rate it a 10, you know, because it's a 10 for me. It's got to be a 10 for you. So I don't know a better way to explain it than that. Okay. I'm glad you like enough. it. <laughs> and I like it. And it plays really good with my go. new chips. Yeah. <laughs> So. And the Yucata games are being limited. It's not. It's not one I have a good argument for. So, I, it just wasn't for me. You know, it, this is the type of game where 
you know, I'm, I'm speaking from my perspective and, you know, even, let's say, uh, probably my wife's perspective also, where it's a game that we enjoy. And if there's a game out there that's like St. Petersburg Plus. Isn't there an expansion for it? I want yeah, to say. Yeah, I remember playing. So we just got that yesterday. Well, there you go. It came in the mail. I, it's, uh, it's it's two in one, two in one box. It can't. It just came in this little box, about the same size as the Kaishbecker. Should get Notre Dame. Yeah, it'd be an interesting theory to see if like you're like really into Notre Dame, you and your wife. Well, check it out. You know, I have a copy. I could just lend you mine. Oh. <laughs> you might not get it back, and I think that might be okay. <laughs> You just totally proved me wrong then, so that would be okay. I'm okay with that. I can be wrong on some games. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it came in a little box about the same size as Kaishbecker, and it's got, like, 40 cards in it. I, I love some of these boxes. Yeah. They're so huge, and there's, like, nothing in them. Actually, even the St. Petersburg box itself, it's a board and then four little stacks of cards and, you know, a couple wooden pieces. Well, I think that's because Rio Grande in, the di- in, the, in that day had, like, two sizes of the boxes, so... It- Pretty much went in, you know, that size one or it went in that little one, and that was it. Box number one, box number two. So that was St. Petersburg. Fun game. Fun, fun, fun. And I know Jeff really wants to say that he loves it and he's going to read it. Yeah, go get it. He just won't say Everybody should go buy this game. (laughs) Okay. All right. So that's about it. Uh, At least that was uh, the more notable things that I've been playing in the last week. This, then, this episode brought to you by the makers of St. Petersburg. Yes. <laughs> Michael Tummelhofer. <laughs> no. <laughs> which I guess is uh, not a real person from what I was reading. Hmm. So I just want to uh, talk about one thing real quick before uh, we get on to the game list section. And that's... So we've done our fair share of Yucatec games online. Yes. And I just had something happen to me the other day. Is I mean, I'm trying to get up to the next level, and I just need to score like 20 more points. Sorry about that. That's, that's okay. I'm, I'm used <laughs> to losing games with you. So, I mean, I, I pretty much see them as get, points I'm giving away. <laughs> so I played this game of Santiago de Cuba. And I was doing pretty good the almost the entire game. And then the game was really, really close. Mm-hmm. Extremely close the entire way. And then finally the game ended. And I was really kind of upset because the game ended, it was a four-person game. It ended 34, 33, 33, 33. Oh, wow. and, and I lost 10 points because I got put in as the last 33. And that's totally unfair. I mean, you got one person, the 34 is the winner. Okay, granted, the 34. What, that, what, does it say what the other people lost? How many points they lost? Is I got minus 10. I, I don't know what the winner got. I think one was like the first 33 got like one or two points. The second 33, I think, hmm. lost. Well, I, you know, points. but there could be a... I think there might be a formula, though, based on what your score already was and as compared to theirs. And I, I really think it has to do with like just the position, how you, you know, the position because you came in fourth by its math. Yeah, because I, if I remember right, I think my move is the one that sailed last boat. So maybe that had something to do with it. I mean, like, man, I, I was really kind of irked about that. It's just 
Well, I my my rant, my mini rant against Yucatan is a little different, which is, and and I've shared it before, but it, it's it's got to. I just finished my last game on Yucatan, which I won. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. But the problem I have with the system isn't so much the ratings; it's it's the matching system. Is the fact that if I go there and there's a bunch of games that are open, right? They're just sitting there and it's like, oh, okay, you want to play Santiago de Cuba? Great. You want to play uh, St. Petersburg or whatever it is, right? Or Zula or whatever the game might be. If you just click accept, then nine out of ten times I'm getting the guy that does nothing but play that game, right? And so, so he's always got ten of them open and, you know, he's got 900 wins out of 905 plays, and right? And, and that's my Yucatan pet peeve because... I think there just should be a matching system where it, it looks at these ratings that everybody spends so much time trying to improve, right? And comes up with a way to match you with somebody who's similarly uh, experienced, skilled, or whatever the case might be. Because they have that true skill rating yeah, that they use. I mean, they could do something with that. And I think they're moving in that direction because yeah. now they have the new random game. Right. I mean, because I want to play with you, it'll just pick a game, but it doesn't. It doesn't pick a game based on our skills currently, and and that's kind of the problem because I, you know, nobody wants to get slaughtered from the standpoint of a, it's not fun, but b, I I don't feel like I learn as much in that case, right? I need to be beaten by just a little bit or a lot, but not excruciating amount. And and even that, I mean, I don't mind once but it's kind of like time after time after time because some of these people play so much more than i'm ever going to uh that's where i know there's other people right, right the other 900 people he he beat he just give me one of those guys right that's all i'm saying yeah. i just just i don't need to play the grandmaster yeah i ran into one of those guys a couple of weeks back i think i might have mentioned it on one of the shows where it was for rolling through the ages yeah. where it was a it wound up being a person that had 250 games of Rolling Through the Ages and one other game. I forgot what it was. Yeah, and they probably lost very few, and they used that exploit I was and, talking about, which is... Yeah, it was so unfair. Yep, yep. I mean, it was, it, was, it was silly. Well, in any case, that's why I've, I've, I've finished my Yucata games. I'm, I'm kind of moving on to other stuff If I, in the little pockets of time I have. Facebook? No, no, not Facebook for me, but... <laughs> Um, I've been playing uh, Africana online. I'm just getting enough plays that I can do uh, a review. That one I've, I've I've just really want to make sure I had played it enough, and I've got about a half a dozen or so plays in. So uh, I'm at a point where I'll probably talk about that next show or so. Okay. So that was my mini little rant about yeah. the unfair scoring tactics, but you know it is what it is. It's not going to stop me from playing. I just thought it was bugs. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm still going to play in Yucatan. I just uh, I'm a little burned out on it for now. So there's other other online options, and I'll be going with some of those uh, for yeah, a little while. You're not breaking up with Yucatan. You're just going on a break. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Separated. <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah.
Okay, moving on to game list. Okay, so I, I've got a couple, and I, I just want to talk about something different this week than I had been. So uh, the the first game, I've, I've, I've actually pre-ordered all of these games, but uh, it's a cu- couple of war games, actually. So this is a, a game called Hunters from GMT. It's about German U-boats, and it's actually a solitaire game. So it's kind of neat because I don't have... I don't have any solitaire games at all. I mean, I have games that play solitaire, but I don't have any solitaire-only games. Okay. But it reminds me of a, a little bit of a, an old game uh, that I had a tax sub back from the Avalon Hill days, just because there's like a little little sheet with your sub on it and, you know, different, different um, tracks and stuff that you move markers on. There's actually a lot more tracks on this. But in that way, it also reminds me of another game I used to like back when, which is Starfleet Battles. Because there's different, you know, different compartments that uh, I'm sure get damaged and different weapons that get expended and stuff. And so um, thinking about that, thinking about like Starfleet battles meets attack sub or, or, or whatever the case might be with this German U-boat theme, the real historical flavor, the fact that I don't really have a, a solitaire only game or war game is like mm, this. This was really interesting to me and it just seemed like um, a game I could really get behind. So um, it's a blind buy, but kind of excited to try that one out when it shows up. Uh, another one I've got is uh, from Lock and Load Publishing, which is not a company I've I've purchased a whole lot of stuff from, but it's a, it's World at War America Conquered. And the uh, the the background to this one is basically, you know, the nuclear wars happened, but it was kind of limited. It didn't didn't wipe out all of mankind, but uh, you know, some of the missiles went off. And and now America is sort of like a fortress America kind of kind of setting, right? Where the wars come to America's soil, and there's um, you know you're fighting the Cubans and Nicaraguans and Central and Southern America and stuff like that, and um, it's all based on this World at War system, which is a, a pretty easy, light tactical system. There's a little lot, decent amount of dice rolling and, and stuff. It's kind of a I hate to call it a bucket of dice system, but nice art, mounted board. Uh, I've got one of their other games, Blood and Bridges, and I just haven't played that one in, in ages, so I thought it was kind of time to pick up another one, and the kind of theming of this one looked interesting. So, um, Especially since I also just got the new Fortress America, so it kind of kind of seemed good. And then also along those same lines, uh, there's a new version of Conflict of Heroes, the the board game with the, the you know, kind of brought up to speed with the box size of the, uh, the Poland one that had come out, and, and so... Uh, I'd sold my original version so that I could pick up this one, and I've really been away from the game, and it's a game I like very much, but I want to get it back to the table once I get this new version, whenever they finally get it to me. And on similar lines, there's a game called Bloody Crossroads from uh, them as well, which is a Gettysburg game, which has very much the artistic look and, and kind of the tactical level of Conflict of Heroes, but in that Civil War era, which was um, you know something I'm... It's lower on my list of uh, of the military interests, but uh, but I've always kind of been partial to Civil War II, like you know, World War II tacticals, strategic, Pacific theater. Those are always my my go tos. But Civil War, especially like the Gettysburg and stuff like that, and some of the ancient stuff are also things I enjoy. So so just uh, again, just to be different, a couple of war games I thought I'd throw out there that are they're all on my pre order list. Cool. How about how about you, Rob? Uh, what you've been lusting after? Okay, uh, actually, I forgot to mention earlier while we were talking about the Board Gamers Dozen that I also picked up Macau. And uh, I set it up last night, did kind of a, a dry run-through for the setup and got everything, you know, punched out and 
it was it it was actually it, it had two things that it kind of reinforced. Number one, I, I had some problems with Castles of Burgundy. Mm-hmm. The quality of the components. I think it's just Aaliyah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're the thinner tiles yeah, and Ravensburger, such. Ravensburger. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it seems like that's the thing with a, a lot of at least Stefan Feld's games and the Aaliyah. You know, people accept it because they've, on average, been pretty good games. Yeah. You know, after you know, after seeing how it was in Macau, you know, it didn't seem to be as big a deal to me. And then the other thing was that uh, I didn't get. To play a full game or anything, because I have a, I, I can't seem to solo play two sides of his games. It's there's just some weird kind of mechanic with with it. Yeah, that's, that's a, a rough one to learn that that's way. Really, yeah. yeah, I know. I try to usually learn a game by uh, by playing through it as well, just so I I can explain it right. Uh, and, and yeah, and with certain games, you just you just can't get very far with that. And this game kind of reminded me of Luna a little bit, and, and that's just in turn. And you know, and Castles Burgundy is kind of similar. So I'm kind of saying that Did most you? of its games might be the same, where you know you have these different mechanics, and in most games you will have okay, you know, this is the mechanism that you do over here. This, I mean, this is what you do over here. This is what you do over here. This is what you do over here. This is phase one, two, and three. Okay, do them in order, repeat. Do them in order, repeat. Whereas his games all tend to be, you know, okay, here's the layout of the board. Here's what all these things do. You have a choice of one of these ten actions to do on your turn. Okay, go figure it out. Do you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. you just have all of these options, and then part of the game is you figuring out how it all works together. You know, and you kind of have to try it. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and he who figures it out best yeah. perhaps wins, possibly. Yeah, so I mean, it was just something that, you know, I saw in the that question, game. Did you play Trahan Trajan with us? No, I have not yet. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's still the question, and that that, that whole itch-scratching thing is, you know, because of the Mancala thing, I think especially in uh, Trajan and the different mechanics all, like, kind of lumped into one and, again, trying to do the best out of everything. I don't know, for me, it scratched that itch, but better than Macau did. And I, and that's why I say, again, to the okay. people that go, oh, I didn't like the game, I actually rated pretty high. I just felt the other one was, was a little bit better. Okay. And I liked it a whole lot more than the other people that I've played it with. So I don't know. I, I, I might. I might even. I'm still tempted to keep it in my collection if it weren't for the fact that I don't yet own Trajan, <laughs> and I, I want that game more, and I enjoy playing that game more. So it's like, okay, right? Yeah. And I've got the wrong game of the two. And you know, I, I like Stefan Feld games obviously a lot, but there's got to be some game of his that I like less than the other ones. And so for me, that happens to just be Notre Dame and Macau, right? I mean. Yeah. Anyway, you look at it out of a dozen games that I talked about, there's got to be two that I like the least. Those just happen to be the two. But on average, they're still not bad. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to throw that in there uh, kind of quick. So the games that I've kind of been lusting after is definitely uh, Vegas. I've mentioned this one before. It's the uh, Spiel des Jahres. Well, yeah, now I want it too, right, because of the nomination, where before I was like, I don't know, they look a little uninspired or something, but... I never really dug a lot into it, and of course now with that, yeah, it's for what looks like it'll be pretty inexpensive as well. 
you know, yeah, that'd be worth like a try. Yeah, it's like 30 bucks, I think. Well, I was thinking it was cheaper than that, but <laughs> okay, $30. Yeah, actually, uh, I think it was uh, 30 bucks because um, Game Surplus got it. Oh, well, I mean, like, when it's widely available. Oh, yeah. It, it'll be, you know, it seems like it'll be more of that $20 type game. That would be nice. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, I'm still itching to get a copy of Africana, a Rapa Nui, which I've mentioned before. And then also, I've been kind of getting the itch to check out some of the Victory Point games, solo games. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, there's like Dawn of the Zeds and, you know, a couple others in the... Yeah, I think it's, it's nice to have uh, solo games around, like I like the one I talked about. I, you know, I, I worry. I worry about the victory point ones a little bit because uh, too often in solo games, it's all about just rolling dice, right. and that's why, you know, especially since it's a solo game, it's not like you have to teach it to anyone. You know, you can just learn it really well yourself. That's why something like the hunters like really appealed to me because it like seems like there'll be a bit more depth to that one, um, but but it doesn't. It didn't strike me as super complicated either. You know, I hope I hope it's not super complicated because that's more than I want for a solo game. But yeah, I mean, for the Victory Point games, there's certainly some that have intrigued me. I just haven't pulled the trigger on them myself. Yeah, because they're not really difficult to get, but they're not as convenient to get as some of the others. Because I think the only you know place you can really get it to other than, or get it from other than the publisher is uh, Cool Stuff. Or your friendly local game store. Where? <laughs> <laughs> one of them, I'm sure, carries them. Or you should, you know, uh, tell them. I've I've asked a couple of stores, and they're like, "Who? What? Yeah, Victory Point? Yeah, because I, I think Victory Point does it on a print on demand, almost. Yeah, and you, you know what? The kind of system. The reason why I know that that they've got some good games too is I, I had a a grognard friend, I guess as they're called, who. Uh, who played all the monster war, you know, he goes to monster con every year, which is, you know, where you go to play these like really, really large war games that just take up 10 tables, 12 tables and such crazy type of thing where you, you know, the whole convention, you play one game <laughs> and, and that's all you get played. And, uh, and yet he was receiving all of these little, uh, Ziploc bags. And at the time I had no idea who victory point games was. And so I, you know, I, I just, it was, it was kind of really curious. I'm like, okay, you play all these monster, monster games, but yet you have these games in the little, you know, why would that be of interest? You know, he's like, well, you know, they do some obscure, you know, time periods and, and topics and things, and they're otherwise just nifty little, little games. So that's when I really first, like, took an interest in um, looking at their stuff. Uh, you know, the components aren't the best, but it's very portable, extremely portable. Yeah. Yeah, the components aren't the best is kind of one of the problems because I remember I have played a couple of their titles here or there, like uh, not necessarily the war game ones, but I played uh, Circus Train, which is one of the ones that GMT is reprinting. Right. And I remember at the time, I mean, outside of, you know, maybe I'll talk about the game different time, but but I just remember thinking I actually have heavier cardstock that I print on in my own printer at home than like the whole board was printed on. <laughs> yep. I mean, I was like... That can't be right. I mean, I have a, I, I get a hundred sheets of this thing at Staples for you know, twelve dollars, and 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 it would be an improvement. So I, 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 that was kind of a problem for me, but not so much the quality of the actual gameplay, or anything like that. I, I just with where things are at for 2012, I, I think they need to step it up just a little, little, little bit on the weight of the board. So 
Yep. Okay. With uh, that being said, that concludes episode number 15 of this board game life. Make sure to check out our website, www.thisboardgamelife.com. We also have our email address where you can send us any feedback for the show, questions, comments, concerns, or whatever your heart desires to contact at thisboardgamelife.com. And we also have a voicemail, 754-444-TBGL for This Board Game Life, or 754 444 8245 feel free to uh, call that leave us a message as well uh, check out our BGG guild it's uh, always interesting to see who listens to the show and what games they have how they might rate them and uh, you know uh, it's a nice place to um, post uh, some ideas or comments for the show as well we also have a BGG blog that we've started that uh, that links in our shows so uh, check that out as well any of any of those are are places you can subscribe uh, or just good old iTunes, Stitcher, and that sort of thing. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Thanks. My name is Rob. Catch y'all later. And this is Jeff. Till next time. <laughs>